1: beer
2: with start your it's the Nick D podcast all right all right all right hello it is indeed the Nick D podcast and I am your host Nick DeGilio. hello welcome to episode number 155 of the Nick D podcast right here on the radio misfits podcast network uh, so happy to be a part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and, uh, boy, expanding, having a great time here. Check out radiomisfits.live where the Radio Misfits are streaming 24-7. It's a free service that you can hear 24-7. It's like a radio station only cooler. It's, it is, it is it's streaming now, right now, 24-7. Incredible programming, unbelievable uh, um, episodes of podcasts that are available here. Radio Misfits, the Unheard Music Project, which is uh, a whole bunch of incredible new unsigned bands that you can hear streaming all the time at radiomisfits.live. And in addition, a whole bunch of great podcasts as well. You can hear my podcast, this one, the Nick D podcast, broadcasts every day at 3 p.m. Central. And my other podcast, the, uh, the uh, SNL podcast that I host, that show hasn't been funny in years, uh, broadcasts every day at 9 a.m. Central, So you can hear the Nick D podcast at 3pm. That show hasn't been funny in years. It's an SNL podcast at 9am every single day, along with unbelievable, really cool podcasts and stuff being streamed at radiomisfits.live. Check it out now. Bookmark it. Listen to it. It's amazing and we're moving along. So come on now. Get on board. Misfits.live. All right. This is the Nick D podcast. I am your host. It is an episode of For the People. Man, we're already into July. It's the first Tuesday of the month, which means uh, that means that my my friends, Herb Weissbaum, um, who is from uh, checkbook.org, he is the consumer man. He helps you with all your consumer issues and t- keeps you away from all the scams um, and the frauds and keeps your money safe. Any consumer issue, any consumer problem, any consumer story, he covers it. He covers it for you, for me, for the people. Herb is going to join us. And then Tom Appel is going to join us. He's our car guy. He is the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Anything and everything related to automotive issues and cars, anytime you got a question about a car, you want to get a car, you need advice, anything happening in the news that is automotive related, Tom is our guy. So Herb and Tom join me once a month. For the for the people uh, episode, that means Esmeralda's taking the day off, but that doesn't stop my dad from busting the door down and telling a joke and pushing this woman out of the way. I'm
1: Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show.
2: I know you do. Hi, I'm
1: Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show.
2: She also loves my dad's jokes, and so do you. And he'll be coming at the end of the podcast to tell a joke. So that's what's happening today on episode 155. Hope you guys are having a fantastic summer as we move along here. Uh, the Fourth of July uh, holiday is happening. Um, you know, as I record this, you could be listening to this three years from now. But just know that it's July. Uh, well, it's, it it is uh, technically it's July Fourth right now. So happy Fourth of July, everybody! I hope you don't blow your hand off. <laughs> People who shoot the fireworks off uh, for the for the three weeks surrounding the 4th of July in the city of Chicago are fucking morons. Sorry, but you are, uh, it's always a pleasure. I lived in the city. I've lived in the city my entire life. And right around June 27th or 8th is when people go, let's go out and light some shit up and blow some stuff up. Cause we're fucking idiots and they're doing it. And, uh, you know, uh, it calmed down a little bit when everybody had COVID. Not anymore. Dogs are scared shitless, you know, uh, you know, people who have post-traumatic stress syndrome are, are not happy at this point. Uh, it's not good. So, anyway, I hope you all have a great time. And, I, you know, it'd be great to see you guys at the emergency room with, I don't know, seven fingers left. We'll see. Morons. But, anyway, uh, happy 4th of July, everybody. Not a holiday I love. But, hey, what the hell? Let's blow shit up. It's cool. We're American. Yeah! Morons. Anyway, uh, so happy 4th of July. Uh, it gets close to my birthday, though, because my, my birthday is on the 6th of July. So uh, I, every, every 4th of July, I mean, I hate the summer. I hate the 4th of July. I hate everything. So my, I don't even like my birthday. But my birthday's coming up. So that, that'll be fun. Yay. And they'll still be blowing shit up. That's another thing. Like on my birthday, my birthday's on July 6th. Every year around my birthday, they keep blowing stuff up. And I'm like, you guys, here's a birthday wish I have put that shit away and stop lighting stuff on fire, you morons. Hey, want to see me live, bitch and moan? (laughs) Along with uh, our good friend, Esmeralda Leon. Well, we are getting closer and closer to the greatest weekend every year, and that is the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention, which is a three-day dedicated convention to the world of horror and scary stuff and movies and celebrities and stars and events. It is the greatest thing ever, and I have been a part of it for 21 years now. I am a host. I am a moderator. I do interviews. I introduce movies. I hang out. I am a celebrity entertainer host, co-host thing. I I am there all the time on the stage doing interviews, doing Q&As, and I am going to be hosting uh, the live version of this podcast, and you need to get your butt out to the Hyatt Regency in O'Hare. It's August 4th through the 6th for the Flashback Weekend. Unbelievable cool celebrities, everything horror-related, a ton of vendors where you can spend... A billion dollars on the coolest t-shirts and merchandise that you will ever see in your life um, in the vendor's room. Son of going to be there. My good friend Rich Coes is going to be there. Uh, there's a costume contest that you can enter and be a part of, and Rich is the host of that, and I'll be introducing Rich and hanging out with him. Um, there's going to be screenings. There's going to be a live concert by Alan Howarth, uh, who, by the way, is going to be on the podcast next week. Uh, Alan Howarth, who is the co-composer with John Carpenter of a ton of great movies. There is a Terrifier uh, and Terrifier 2 reunion. There is a Christine, John Carpenter's Christine reunion. There is a Scream reunion. Big stars, big actors, actresses, horror icons are going to be there. I'm going to be there live on stage and you're going to be there to be a part of the live podcast recording. It is happening on Saturday afternoon, August 5th at 12.30 in the afternoon in the big ballroom where we do the Q&As with the celebrities. We are going to have some surprise celebrity guests on stage with us. We're going to talk to you. We've got prizes to give away. It's going to be interactive. It'll be recorded. You'll be part of a live podcast recording that will forever be a part of this network. Uh, and you can be a part of it. We want to hear from you. We're going to talk about scary movies and horror movies and scary stuff. We're going to have surprise guests. There might even be a uh, there might even be a guy uh, named Sven Gulli who will pop up on the stage. You never know. It's going to be star-studded. It's going to be exciting, cool stuff to give away. Me, Esmeralda Leon, on stage, doing all the great stuff we do on this podcast, but live in front of you, and you will be a part of it. Saturday, August 5th, 1230 in the afternoon, as part of the amazing Flashback Weekend. Get your tickets now. Be there. Let's jam that room for a live recording, and let's have a blast. And I expect everybody to show up and have a great time. So flashback weekend, Hyatt Regency O'Hare in Rosemont, Illinois, August 4th through the 6th. Get your tickets, everything, M- me and Esmeralda live, celebrities, we've got uh, some very cool horror-related celebrities who are going to be up on stage with us, and all kinds of really cool stuff. So get your tickets now. We go live at 12.30. It's recorded for this network, and you'll hear it the next day. But be there live. Be a part of it, because it's going to be amazing. Flashbackweekend.com. Get your tickets now. Flashbackweekend.com. So I expect every single person who is hearing my voice right now to be in that ballroom on Saturday, August 5th, 12.30 in the afternoon, having a great time at Flashback Weekend. And by the way, be a part of amazing stuff that's happening that whole weekend. If you've never been to the Flashback Weekend, even if you're not a horror fan, it's an unbelievable unbelievably entertaining and jam-packed event that you will love. And Mike and Mia Kurs, who run it, are very close friends of mine. It's the best horror convention in the country, bar none, and I've been, a pr- I've been privileged to be a part of it since the very beginning. And uh, I like to run around there, and I'm on stage introducing, and I'm interviewing celebrities and doing all kinds of cool stuff. It's amazing. And they're letting me do my podcast there live, so I expect every single one of you to be there. Get your tickets now at FlashbackWeekend.com. Thanks. All right. Be there. All right. Hey, consumer issues, you got them. We need them. We need to talk to these guys. It's for the people. Herb Weisbaum joins us. Congratulations on that for you. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jaggle. Herb Weisbaum is the Consumer Man. Yes, he is your hero when it comes to consuming the Consumer Man. Oh, yes, Herb is your man. That's right. The heroic music and theme song of Herb Weisbaum, who is our Consumer Man, as you know. Herb is the consumer man. Uh, you can check him out at checkbook.org, among other places, and here on this podcast, where, in which he is a regular part of our For the People episodes that we do, first Tuesday of each month. And it's the 4th of July, and let me be the first to say, happy 4th of July, Mr. Herb Westbound.
0: Thank you. A very, very special day for me, because uh, my mother, may she rest in peace listening to podcasts up in heaven, uh, was born on July 4th
2: you know, my aunt who may she rest in peace, uh, oh. also was born on July 4th. Um, and I remember my aunt, uh, she, she, she passed away, uh, in 1998. So it's been, it's been a while she was young sure. and she passed away in 1998. And I remember when she was my, uh, she was my mother's sister. Um, mm-hmm. and I remember when my mother was pregnant with me, um, she was like, uh, you know, uh, you should have him on the fourth. Just make sure you have him on the fourth so that we have the same birthday. She wanted me in uh, uh, me and her to have the same birthday. And unfortunately I was two days late. My birthday is Thursday. So, um, so I was, I was, I was July 6th and she was forever upset about that.
0: My uh, well, my grandfather always told my mother that that's why they had fireworks you know, when she was a little <laughs> I, kid. She thought that.
2: That's the thing. You know, what's really funny is when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, cause fireworks start going. And I grew up in the city. I grew up, you know, like yeah. in Chicago blocks away sure. from Wrigley field and stuff would blow up pretty regularly. Even when I was a kid and my sure. parents would say oh, that's because they're celebrating your birthday. <laughs> that was the thing. It was like, they started two days early, son. It, they start the celebration of Nick DiGiolio's birthday two days early by blowing up half of the state. So, oh. <laughs> but and that's Mike? something yeah, she, she was at your, your, uh, she was a cancer then uh under, i guess under, so born born under the so. sign of cancer yes, yes. i'm
0: an Howard. aries and uh my due date was april 1st april fool's day oh no <laughs> this would have been great <laughs> but i fooled I, them. I came a couple of days late so yeah uh, I, I believe
2: my i believe my due date was the fourth and i think that's why my aunt was so mad at my mother like blaming her have the well, kid me, now you know like i was thinking
0: <laughs> well, let me tell you something today they would have induced because they yeah. wanted that to try. just <laughs> cut her open. Get the damn kid yeah.
2: out already. Get Shalom. the kid out. We want to have a, we want to have an independence day, baby. That's what we want. So <laughs> anyway, well, happy birthday to everybody who was born on this day and happy birthday to our lovely country and don't blow your fingers off. Now, Herb, before we get into the 4th of July sure. stuff that I want to talk to you about, tell everybody who Herb is, who the consumer man is and how we can get your
0: services. Sure. I've been covering the consumer beat for various Uh, institutions uh, for more than 40 years now, uh, for NBC News, for CBS News, for uh, Women's Day Magazine. I uh, now work for Checkbook.org. It's a nonprofit that uh, rates services in seven major cities across the country. And before this is over, we're going to give you folks who live in those cities a free link so you can get uh, a trial run of what this is like. So we're Consumer Reports rates Products, we rate services. We rate the plumbers and the electricians, not the appliances and the lumber, that sort of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, Nick.
2: <clears throat> All right.
0: And because we're a nonprofit, we don't get money from anybody. We tell it like it is. We're there to serve the, the public. I also host their bi weekly podcast called consumerpedia the last issue that just dropped nick is all about electric vehicles we're going to talk about that later it's a update to the one i did about a year and a half ago and a lot has changed but i really enjoy what i do to to help people and just try to make people smarter save money save time and avoid all the bad guys out there because lord knows there's enough of them out there
2: uh and uh consumer manager handle on all the uh on all the socials out there, The Consumer Man uh, or Consumer Man, and people can check out checkbook.org and theconsumerman.com.
0: Yeah, if you just go to consumerman.com, not the consumer consumerman.com, oh, consumerman.com. Will, everything is there in one place. I even have stuff for kids, by the way, on there, Nick. It's the Life Smarts program from the National Consumers League, and they can learn about buying a car, credit scores, identity theft. This is for high school kids, and these oh, are little videos that help explain stuff to them. I was that's cool. I was TikTok before there was TikTok.
2: Nick. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talk I, I, I've seen you lip sync to songs before uh, Herb. it's quite interesting um, so all of that is available at consumerman.com, links to the checkbook.org to this to that to podcasts everything that the consumer man does and then once a month you are uh, kind enough to spend some time with me and my my subscribers and listeners and oh, we always appreciate it. I love it we always I, appreciate it uh, so it is the 4th of July as we did mention um, and as someone who has been consu- you know covering the consumer beat and been in the news beat for mm-hmm. many 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 years i'm sure that there is a consumer angle on the 4th of july i'm sure that there has been coverage of stories that have a 4th of july tinge to them that you've covered as the consumer man over the years are there any memorable things that happen around this holiday associated with what you do
0: Sure, there are a couple of them. Uh, you know, when you're on TV, they try to you try to show things to demonstrate the. You, you know, when you say a sparkler burns at a thousand degrees or whatever it is, I can't remember the figure now, but it's really hot. Yeah. You know, just hold it in your hand, and say it burns really, really high. So the producers going, you know, how can we, how can we show this? I'm talking like 40 years ago, and so I took a steak and I just took, I blew it out and I put it on the steak and you know it branded the steak, it seared the meat. Which sort of, you know, you, you hear it going, Shh, sort of, yeah. you know, imagine that's your kid's hand or something like that. Right. And then uh, nowadays, uh, I'm not going to say they stole it from me, but nowadays the feds always do this thing where they blow up watermelons to show the impact of an M80. Right. Well, yours truly was one of the first people who did that for TV way back when, when the producer said, okay, so how do we show how these M's, whatever, the M80s, the M10s, whatever, how do we show how powerful they are? I don't know, stuff in a watermelon. Great idea. Boom, you know, and then you show it in slow motion and sure. show the thing going apart. And then, you know, you always try to try to interview victims if you can, because I'd like to hear somebody who unfortunately injured themselves playing with fireworks, telling the people out there, you know, it happened to me, it could happen to you. Please be careful, please watch what you do. This is a true story. So I'm in the hospital. Harborview Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. And this guy had blown, unfortunately, a couple of his fingers off with like an M80 or an M100, right? His hands all bandaged up. He's in the room. And I asked him a couple of things what happened. And I just, I don't know, I wanted to sum it up. And I said, so is there any advice that you can give before I let you go? And I was expecting him to say, like I said, don't play around fireworks. It's dangerous. And he said, yeah, after you light the fuse, be sure you throw it really quickly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I realized that some people just don't learn. You know, I mean, I felt God. really sorry for the guy. That is not – I never used that on the air, but that was that was the advice he – that's what he put away from losing a couple of – Yeah,
2: them. instead of I'm never going to touch fireworks again, next time with my stumps, I'm going to throw them a little faster. Right, uh, right. That's, But that doesn't surprise me. I mean, they start blowing off stuff in my neighborhood Uh, her right late, late June. It starts yeah. in late June, and it goes oh. all the way through – you know, for, for like after my birthday, it continues through like the week after, I know it's, it's just every year it's stuff blowing up people. And then, and then, you know, I don't know if you, if you've been reading about, um, our horrible air quality here in Chicago over the past like week. Um, but you know, because of the Canadian wildfires, we were last Tuesday, uh, in fact, a, a week ago today, we had the worst air quality of anywhere in the world. In Chicago, we
0: had, we had that a month ago. It comes down here, too, of course. Yes, we yeah. had that one day. We were worse than Ch- uh, we worse than China, which yeah. is like not something you strive for. No,
2: no, no. I mean, we like literally on Tuesday yeah. of last week, yeah. Chicago yeah. had the worst air quality of any place in the world. So, right. we, you know, we've been having all of that stuff and, and, and it cleared up with uh, we had like, well, first of all, it cleared up in time for like uh, we had like a record amount of rain yesterday. Like, mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount of rain. like, mm-hmm. And we had that dumbass mas- NASCAR thing that was here in Chicago where mm-hmm. they were actually driving down the street. So as soon as the air quality clears up, we have NASCAR, and now everybody's going to be blowing stuff up in the streets for the next three days to uh, make the air quality just as bad as it was last week.
0: Uh, well, let me just say another reason I, it upsets me that so many people set the fireworks off in the neighborhoods is that, you know, those of us who have pets, my, my dog oh, goes... Yeah crazy i have to give yeah. him tranquilizers because absolutely. he goes absolutely and i nice, start shaking goes in the corner uh, and it,
2: it's 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 pets as well it's also older people yes. and you know and uh, uh and and veterans uh and and ptsd, oh, sure. PTSD. People, PTSD. people have ptsd yeah. are it's horrifying and 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 it just and in, you know i live on the northwest side in the city of chicago and i'm mm-hmm. telling you uh her last night until around 2 a.m stuff was blowing up and yeah. you know tonight and tomorrow it'll be even worse and, and then yeah, they do you do it can...
0: afterwards for a couple of days. Like they Absolutely. use up. A... So, so if Absolutely. you have a pet, Make sure you have the doors closed; they can't escape. Yep. If they and they have a collar on, because you know my experience in pets, I'm, I'm, you know, with the, all the consumer groups here, the uh, the rescue organization, we see more things at the shelter Fourth of July and New Year's than any other time of the year because the pets freak out and run out the door. If you have an open yep. window because it's hot out or something, just think about that. If my pet, I don't want yeah. my pet to bolt because I might not get him back yet. Yeah. One last thing before I, I let you do with your agenda, because you mentioned about the air quality and all the flights that were canceled. Oh yeah. Uh, If you want to go to my website and just click down a little bit on what airlines must do if your flight is canceled or delayed, there are a lot of people that need that information because they don't always play they don't always tell you the true story and you need to know your rights when it comes we're going to have that all summer long between the overload of passengers the non capacity and the forest fires uh, just go to consumerman.com just go down the list a little bit and look for what the airlines must do if your flight is canceled or delayed because you really need to know your rights
2: and it's all it's all there for you so if you're traveling make sure you check it out consumerman i haven't i haven't flown in 13 years uh, wow! It's been yeah. Wow. I'm not a bit. I don't. I don't travel a lot. I never. You know. I. I never really uh, did. But the last time I flew, and this is really strange. That this. It's connected to what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. The last time I flew, I went with my ex-wife and I. We went to uh, Ireland for three weeks, and it was hmm. probably the best trip I've ever gone on my life. But it. Our trip coincided. We were leaving right at the time when that uh, Icelandic volcano was blowing off. Oh, you remember sure. that? You remember yes, that, I like, there, uh-huh. and and can, you know, planes were being, you know, the uh, uh, trips were being canceled, flights were mm-hmm. being canceled all over the place because it was not safe to fly because of all of the stuff that 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 Icelandic volcano was spewing yep. into the air. Yep. And so we got in, we got we we left Chicago and got to Dublin at we got in like in between cancellations, like at a, mm-hmm. at a specific time. Oh. It's like okay, it's it's okay to fly for the next like sure. four hours. Now and and I will say this, Herb. I don't. Uh, I'm a terror. I'm I'm terrified of flying. I hate I can it. Imagine. I, can I hate it. When well, you I have
0: the little broadcast studio up on the tower. You were afraid to be that high up there.
2: No, I don't like. I, I'm not a heights guy, but I hate flying. I hate it. Right. I hate it. I freak out. When I was younger, I didn't. I didn't start freaking out about flying until I got into my 40s. Okay.
0: So,
2: but uh, but now, I mean, I guess you start thinking about mortality and stuff when you get up to that age. So, sure. so I'm terrified of flying, and so I was beyond terrified because I was like, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to get, you know, volcano ash in the engines and blow up and die. And I, so that was on my mind. And that was yeah. back. I quit drinking uh, in 2015, but before that, I was still a drinker. So the only way I could fly was if I got drunk beforehand, mm-hmm. <laughs> the right. only way I could fly. Right. And, but I remember w- we, we made it, we got there. And then while we were in Ireland for that three weeks, the volcano was going nuts. Mm. And I was like, Oh my God, we're going to be stuck here. And then, uh, the flight back, it was like, yes, there's a, there, we have like a 12 hour window where you can fly. Right. So, I mean, and I know that that's the case. And, and, and the thing that is Herb, I know that you traveled, um, you travel frequently for both yeah. your job and for pleasure. Yeah. And, and I know it's just like, you're a nerd to any of that kind of stuff. Um, um, but I freak out and I, and all I remember is like, people were just like, anytime there's ever been a problem on a plane. Yeah. People are, aren't are scared. They're angry. They're like, good, get right. this thing.
0: You know. <laughs> right, right. Well, that I'm, seems, not yeah. I'm not afraid of flying. I mean, I was afraid of flying until I joined CBS News, and I had to travel 100,000 miles a year, and I said to myself, you either got to get over this or get another job. I mean, right. let's be serious here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but my fear now is the people on the plane, somebody gets crazy because there's so That's many it. crazy people on the plane. They get drunk, whatever. Yeah. I, in my earlier career, watched the building, because I live in Seattle, Boeing, the building of the 767 and the 777. And sure. watch all the certifications they did. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. really, cool. when you see how they stretch those wings more than 100% of what they're built for, and <laughs> then they finally snap, or they, they in the old days, they yeah. don't do this anymore because of PETA, but they used to shoot frozen chickens and turkeys into the windshield in case they hit a flock of birds. Right. And they have this room where they pour so much water into the engines, as if you're flying through a rainstorm, that nature could never produce that much water.
2: Right. Um, right.
0: You've and then the backups of the backups of the backups of the backups of the systems. Sure. Uh, it's 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 really amazing how these planes are built. Like I said, I'm afraid of the crazy passenger on the plane. Yeah, that's,
2: well, I'll tell you, I tell you what, the fear that I have is completely irrational, and I sure. know that uh-huh. I, I know that I realize yeah. that, but it still doesn't, it's still oh, does, of course. Of course. It doesn't, doesn't stop. But of course, I haven't flown since then, so uh, right. Right. but and I haven't flown since I got sober, so that'll be interesting. Next time I get on a plane and I can't get boozed, uh, that's. <laughs>
0: Well, let me tell you. Since you fly, there is no longer any leg room. You pay for every, absolutely everything. <laughs> right, right. There are no pillows. There are no blankets. <laughs> right. Um. They they make you feel like you're lucky to be on the plane. That's it. I know I'm gonna get hate mail, but things have really changed a great deal. I'm so sure they stuff. have. I'm sure they have. Well, anyway.
2: Uh. But if you want to get an update on those canceled flights and all that stuff that's happening because of the air quality and everything else that's happening, yeah. always check out uh always check out consumerman.com. Okay. Let's get to some of the stories that you've been covering. Sure. Sure. Uh, at, uh, at checkbook.org and Uh I, w- you know, I guess I was aware that Publishers Clearinghouse was still a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just assume because, you know, like uh, they don't send out the Ed McMahon stuff anymore. Uh, but it's still a thing. And the FTC is actually suing. Publishers Clearinghouse? This is kind of a blast from the past.
0: Well, it's actually a thing. Uh, they still do the prize patrol. They still have commercials and all that sort of thing. They do advertising online, et cetera. Uh, they've been doing the contest. It's The company's much older, but they've been doing the contest since 1967, and they've used yeah, that man. speech stage to generate billions of dollars in revenue for the magazine subscriptions and the merchandise sales. And the Federal Trade Commission never questioned the integrity of the contest. That was not the issue here. It was – that they assert, the Federal Trade Commission asserts, that PCH used illegal dark patterns, which we've talked about before, to trick people into making a purchase. So what they're saying is, that uh, that the Publishers Clearinghouse, which I'll refer to as PCH to make it shorter, used a bunch of deceptive practices to mislead people about how to enter its contest or to make them believe the purchase was necessary to win or increase their chances of winning, both of which are not true. The reason why you always hear no purchase necessary, Nick, is because if a purchase was necessary, that would be an illegal lottery. Got it. And that's how they get around the lottery rules that you have to say three by five card stuff, whatever. There has to be a very easy and simple and non costly way for somebody to enter without making a purchase. So that's right. why they do this. To settle this case, um, we'll talk a little bit more about what they did. But to settle this case, Publishers Clearinghouse agreed to change its online business practices and refund 18 and dollars to customers who the FTC said, quote, spent money and wasted their time entering the sweepstakes. I will tell you right up front, this has to be approved by a court. So for everybody asking, how do I get any money back? I don't have the faintest idea. Mm. We won't know until sometime next year when the court when the court approves this, there'll be a refund program. It'll all be established. So that's sometime down the road. But they did get a, a, a penalty money and they also agreed to change their practices, which is the biggest thing as we've talked about before. That's what the FTC really wants to do. These penalties aren't really... It's a business expense for these companies, but the the process here is they want them to change their business practices. And by the way, I should say up front that Publishers Clearinghouse said that they did not do anything wrong, but that they settled this case in order to just move it along and save costs. So that's their position on this I whole see.
2: thing. I see. And, and now, do so they do not send out the the, the the mailings anymore. Maybe they do, but on a smaller scale. Um, so how do, what, I mean, obviously the, I see, we see the commercials and things like that. Is there an online way that they're doing this? That, 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 that seems to be you know, like you mentioned, uh, um, uh, you know, like some of the underhanded ways that they might be doing this. Yes. How do people, how, how do online. people, end, how do people end up getting these, these, uh, these contest things?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they do ads on social media and there may be some mailings. I just don't know whether they're mailings or a lot. They run the commercials on TV. I've seen them, you know, don't matter now because the board goes out in August. And, or I think, whatever.
2: and I also but I also think that like remember, I'm mean, obviously Ed McMahon was the most famous spokesman. I and think Dick it's, Hart, I, I, I believe, and, 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 and I believe now uh, it's Steve Harvey. If I am not mistaken, right.
0: Absolutely. You're exactly because right.
2: It's Steve Harvey because, of course, Steve Harvey has to be in everything he hosts 75 right. different shows <laughs> <laughs> right, right so but i think steve harvey is now the celebrity spokesman for publishers clearinghouse if i'm not yeah. mistaken
0: So it's a big name and again you know for years i mean i've been reporting on publishers clearinghouse sweepstakes scams which are out and outright scams you know criminals pretending to be publishers clearinghouse course, and making yeah. you do something for years and it was always like hey you know this is legit they don't make you pay to enter. So that's how you know it's a real contest. And again, by the way, Publishers Clearinghouse, when I contacted them, they say the majority of its millionaire winners never ordered anything with their winning entries. So you don't have to enter to win. But the Federal Trade Commission says they used, and this is their quote, Manipulative phrasing and website design to convince consumers they need to buy a product of some kind to enter the company sweepstakes or increase their chances of winning. And mm-hmm. I won't go through the whole thing, but I, I, in the in the lawsuit, there are these pages. I can see what the screenshots were. And basically, it's not just as easy as quick click a button enter for free. There's a whole bunch of hoops you have to jump through. And there are some language that might make you think that if you click this thing where you made a purchase, it would be better for you. And I, I, you can see why the FTC alleged that. So that's what they're going to get them to do. They're, they also, there's one other allegation here, which is significant, which is they said that the company uh, had shipping and handling charges, which they did not include up front. And you didn't find out until later in the process, possibly before you could cancel the order. That's when you found out about the shipping and handling charges, which is a deceptive practice, according to the Federal Trade Commission. So They've agreed to, number one, tell everybody the full price of the goods and services, including shipping and handling, so the whole full meal deal. By the way, those charges, the FTC said, were 40% Of the product costs. So it's not like there was minor shipping and handling. That was 40% of what you bought was a shipping and handling costs. Um, They also will no longer uh, say that they have a no risk purchase when the person has to pay for the return of the item if they don't like it. They were saying no risk purchase and the people had to pay for that return shipping. And then they're also not going to do anything that indicates to people that they will have to buy something to enter the contest or increase their odds of winning the contest. And they're going to set up a link that will directly take you to a page where you can enter the sweepstakes without seeing any of the sales messaging whatsoever. So they're going to make it really, really easy. So, so that's really good that they're going to do that.
2: Yeah. It, you know, and I have often wondered, cause I'm, I don't, uh, I'm not going to, Get into any content. I have no interest in that at sure. all, so it doesn't work on me. I'm just I, I will not even I'm not mm-hmm. even interested. But like I've often wondered what "quote unquote" no risk means, and I think that that is I mean that's one of the things that th- that they were concerned about. But w- I wonder what is the umbrella on which they use that phrase. I wonder.
0: Well, that's all kinds of online marketing and direct marketing now says no risk purchase, and and what they what I interpret it always to be is that if you don't like the product, you can return it to us or just keep it, and not have to continue. But some people can interpret no risk as you know, you wouldn't be out the shipping and handling, or you wouldn't have to send pay your money to ship it back if you didn't like it. When the shipping and handling is 40% of the, I, I've never seen anything that high before. That's, unbelievable. that's
2: crazy. I mean, that's uh, crazy.
0: Well, so, so that is a major expense that it, I can see how people would be upset if you did not realize that going in, you got something you didn't like, you ship it back. Well, that's you know, in this day of, of free returns, in many cases, that's you know. The other final thing they did, and you and I have talked about this, is a, a repeat story here about privacy. The FTC is really cracking down on companies that are playing fast and loose with our private data. They charged publishers Clearinghouse with making misleading statements in its privacy policy up until January of 2019. Uh, the company said it did not rent, license, or sell consumer data to third parties when the FTC said, in fact, it did share this information with other companies. So as part of the settlement all consumer data that pch collected before january the 1st 2019 is going to be destroyed and the company is prohibited from misrepresenting the consumer data it collects and shares you know that's what we we tell you check the privacy policy and then when you check the privacy policy and again this has been an ongoing story we've talked about this with a bunch of lawsuits and then you don't even live up to your policy i mean that you know that's just that's just that's just duplicitous it's just terrible It is. It is. And the I FTC love to is. that word, by the way, duplicitous. Like
2: it makes you sound so damn smart, Herb. I'm <laughs> telling you. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so the FTC is also coming down on Amazon. Um, yes. Using these as you as we've termed it, dark patterns, um, uh, and, uh, and and they're tricking people into joining Prime. Um,
0: that's nice. the allegation. And this that's is a the case- allegation.
2: That's the allegation. Okay.
0: Right. And and the Amazon and the Amazon did not agree on this. Normally when I do these stories with you, the Federal Trade Commission work tries to settle with a company. If they're willing to settle, the FTC drops the lawsuit and the settlement at the same time. So like just like I told you with Publishers Clearinghouse. So they worked with Publishers Clearinghouse for months. Publishers Clearinghouse said, Yes, I will agree to this settlement. The FTC drops the lawsuit and the settlement at the same time. So it's all over and done with. Right. This is a case where the FTC is suing Amazon, and Amazon said we didn't do it, and we're not going to settle with you. We're going to fight this. Mm. So, as you may be aware, you know Amazon uh, Prime is a huge money maker. That's where most of the money is made. Oh. A good portion of the money is made for. Let me turn off my Outlook, Nick. So you it's okay.
2: That, You're good. Mic, the background.
0: Yeah. Um, that, that's where they make a lot of their money through the Prime memberships, uh, and uh, so that's a really big, important deal for them. Uh, yeah. Amazon has more than 200 million Prime members, and they pay. I'm one
2: of them. $139
0: know. a year, 14 dollars a month to get faster shipping and other benefits. This is Prime Video. If you want to join and you know you want to join, there's no problem with that. What the Federal Trade Commission is saying is that Amazon enrolled people into Prime without their consent and then making it very, very difficult for them to cancel. And let me tell you, from somebody who tried to cancel my sister-in-law's Amazon account, it can be incredibly difficult to cancel. We talked about before the new initiative the FTC has called Click to Cancel, where if this rule goes through, it's yep, gonna have to be yep. easy to cancel. If you, if you click here to, can, uh, to subscribe, you gotta go right back there and click to uh, cancel, which these companies do not do at all. Yeah, so, we, covered, we covered that. We covered that here yeah.
2: uh, a little while ago, yeah.
0: Well, so that hasn't happened yet, but that would take care of a lot of these problems. Above and beyond the, the fact that they say that people were tricked and then they couldn't get out of it, here's something that I haven't seen in a lot of uh, lawsuits lately from the Federal Trade Commission. They said that Amazon's leadership was aware of what was going on and, quote, slowed or rejected changes that would have made it easier for users to cancel Prime because those changes adversely affected Amazon's bottom line. In other words, there were memos where people told the executives, this is a problem, and the executives said... Based on the documents in the court filing, no, we can't oh. change it because we lose too much money. Oh man! So that's that's one big area of contention that is a little different from everything else. So the government's asking the court to stop the alleged illegal practices, and ordered Amazon, asking the court to order Amazon to pay a fine. They did not disclose how much money they're asking for. They were hoping that the uh, the court would agree, you know, find out what that would be. So,
2: how, how often does a does a company fight back like Prime is? Like if they think that the FTC is off base, if they're like, no, we didn't do this, does that happen very often? Do you see a lot of resistance or fighting back against the FTC if that happens?
0: Normally, for the cases I cover, and you know, you and I have been talking for I don't know, four years now, five years, something like that. Yeah. I can't think of another case where the company said we're going to fight it in court with something like that. Normally, they say we didn't do it, we didn't admit any wrongdoing, which they never do in these things. That's why they settle because they can say they didn't admit yeah, any wrongdoing. Of but we're going to agree to pay this because it's cheaper. We don't have to have the lawyer bills or it's in the interest of right. our country, our customers. And they write, you know, we want to thank the Federal Trade Commission for pointing out something to us so we can <laughs> provide better customer service. I mean, the, the PR yeah, spin yeah. on these lawsuits is absolutely unbelievable. Of course. But it's yeah. very rare that a company fights back. One of the reasons is, and, and I'm certainly not a show for the Federal Trade Commission, but I'm telling you when you, know, when you see these court filings, you know they don't, they don't just like you know, file this like overnight. They work on this for months and months and months and get all kind of documentation for their allegations. You know for this thing, there are screenshots, there are memos, there are emails, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes there are whistleblowers. Uh, it's not just a willy-nilly lawsuit that they tend to file. Uh, they they do spend a lot of time putting these things together and that's why most companies who are confronted with the evidence say boy it would make a lot more sense to just settle get this over with change our practices and and move along and make it look like we did a good thing for our customers
2: when a, when a lunkhead like me just an average schmo <laughs> thinks they thinks they've been ripped off how do you contact the FTC i mean do you go to them and say hey i think amazon is ripping me off i think you know they they screwed me you know into joining prime does that do do people do a lot of regular just schmoes, go to the FTC and say, hey, I I want to make you aware that I think I'm being ripped off? Does that happen a lot?
0: Well, other than you, I wouldn't call them schmoes. But yes, <laughs> but yes average average people, I mean, that, that's, that's one of their um, eyes and ears. That's how the Federal Trade Commission and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which looks out over financial issues, gets information about things. So you just go to ftc.gov and there's a complaint form on there and you can file out your file or complaint and let them know what happened. Uh, There's also the same thing with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, cfpb.gov. My next podcast, which we'll talk about next month, I interviewed the folks from the CFPB and they were talking about that they have a completely different complaint process than every other federal agency. These are public complaints, people can see them. And by law, the the financial companies have to respond within 15 days. They're supposed to. So, but that's not what the Federal Trade Commission. Those are those are anonymous complaints. But that's how they find out. Just like me, when I was a consumer reporter on local radio and TV, and now with Checkbook, I get email from people. Hey Herb, did you yeah. know? Hey Herb, you know, I can, we can't be everywhere. And and if somebody saw this thing, uh, that's how I get some of my best stories from. So many times, your listeners will write me afterwards and say, I "Just heard you on the Nick D thing. Did you know?" No, I didn't. Thanks for letting me know. That's. Yeah. That's how we work because you're there are a lot of eyes and ears out there. and That's how we find some of the really, really, but I encourage you to file. And even if you've been scammed by somebody, I mean, if they're also there for like the really true scumbag scammers kind of thing, yeah. file the complaint because A, it lets you, them know what's going on and B, if they, they get another number of complaints, they'll put out a tip sheet that adv- advises people and maybe you can help protect other people from what's going on, even if you can't get your money back.
2: Oh, it's interesting. But, it's, but, and again, it's so complicated though, like uh, covering this stuff, Herb, it's got to be complicated because then there are also the people who are pretending to be regular folks like us mm-hmm. in order to go after, you know, to get, to be a part, like, like people who maybe don't even have prime who want to get in on this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And say, oh uh, yeah, they screwed me. They tried to get me and they're not even, you know, they tried to get me to join prime in order to get a little settlement money. That, right. and how, and I mean, how difficult is it to screen those sneaky people out? Is it does that happen Some, a lot?
0: Sometimes it's very uh, open. Like they'll say, you know, if you bought a pack of meat at a certain supermarket, you know, five years ago, just let, they don't expect yeah. anybody to have a receipt from that meat. Sure. Sometimes they actually have forms you have to fill out, and you have to indicate. And they sometimes have computer databases. You know, if you were a, a customer of this cell phone service, they're going to know whether you're a customer of that cell phone service. They're going to have the uh, court administrated uh, person yep. who's doing this will have all. You know, if you're a prime member, then what was your account number or yep look at a database so they, they they do that when they can if there's some kind of reference to go to some cases are just wide open and i'm sure there are people taking advantage of it yeah. uh but in some cases is it really worth the work for you know six point two six oh, sure. dollars five cents yeah of course know? but of yeah. course
2: but but i'm just saying i'm just saying herb on yep. every end someone's trying sure. to make out you know what i mean absolutely. like even even the good guys sometimes are bad guys
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely and this so. and this highlights one more thing that i was talking to my wife about the other day and that is you know, when I first started this, there were basically scammers, there were good companies, and there were bad companies. So the scammers Man. are the criminals. Yeah. The good companies were the good companies, all the names we know, the trusted brands. And the bad guys were the little fly by night roofing companies and the painters who yeah. didn't show up and the, yeah, all yeah. that. Now we have so many good guys, yeah. big banks, big companies, big online companies, big tech companies who were trying to push it up to the line as close as they could. And now going over the line, and when they get caught, I mean, that's been with a lot of these banks that have been uh, uh, you know, prosecuted lately. Oh, I didn't know. How did that happen? It was a rogue employee or a rogue department or right. something like that. They get a slap on the wrist. They pay a fine. They promise they'll never do it again. They made gazillions of dollars. The fine is a cost of doing business. You know, we can deduct that from your taxes. Sure. By the way... If- if I ran the world, that would be the number one change I would make. You cannot deduct a fine from a government agency from your taxes. That's not a deductible expense. It's supposed <laughs> to hurt you.
2: Right. Right.
0: Uh, and then they and then they go on their way. And that's that's how the world has changed. Uh, you know, the scammer scammers are getting better, but the so-called good guys, because they got to make the bottom line, they got to keep their stockholders happy they they've really been pushing it up the line and a number of them if we've seen in in recent years have gone over the line I just I think that's disgusting I mean it yeah. really is disgusting that that's what you're doing to your customers
2: yeah okay well um, uh, so the Publishers Clearinghouse and the Amazon stories about the FTC are all available uh, on, at consumerman uh, uh, mm-hmm. dot com so uh, uh, the- now the- another fraud alert that we wanted to get into is ticket scams mm-hmm. uh, people go to concerts, they go to sporting events and people are paying. A ton of money. And it's so strange now to buy tickets online because a million ticket quote unquote companies or agencies pop up. Mm -hmm. Like everybody knows Ticketmaster and all these other and and some of these other places. But man, if you're going to buy tickets for something online, you really, really have to know your stuff. You really have to know where you're going, if it's a legitimate company, if it's just a scalper or who it is. But I mean, ticket scams are everywhere, especially knowing how much it costs to go to economy. These Taylor Swift, uh, we all know that whole story, mm-hmm. the Taylor Swift concert, people waiting online for, you know, five, six hours on a to buy tickets that the face value were like two grand. I mean, this is a big, big money-making scam, uh, yep. that people are doing. Uh, but the ticket scams are, are crazier than ever. Correct.
0: Yes. And, and more than ever. It, by the way, if you want to just see how ridiculous it is, when you pointed out the who's selling tickets, just, just Google Taylor Swift tickets. Yeah. <laughs> See yeah, what yeah, pops up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. But I talked to the Better Business Bureau, and they told me that the quote they used was, complaints have skyrocketed in the last year or so. You know, people are coming out of COVID. They want to go back to concerts. The big guys are touring again, Beyonce and and, yeah. and, and Taylor Swift and that sort of thing. And they processed processed 21,000 complaints about ticket purchases since January of 22. That's a lot of complaints. Yeah. yeah. And in many cases, once you've complained, the money's gone if you're dealing with a scammer, and you're never going to see it again. That's the problem. Right. So what? What? The, what? They, there's a lot of scenarios for how they do it. I mean, in some cases, the scammer doesn't even have the tickets, and they're just take, taking your money. In some cases, the scammer has the tickets. And they don't deliver them. In some cases, a scammer has the tickets and they resell them five or six times. So the first person who gets in with a ticket with a barcode is the one who gets in and you are stuck there saying, well, I have the ticket and well, that barcode's already been used. Mr. Weiss. I'm sorry. We can't let you in here. Um, it's, It's just a really big minefield out there. And, you know, in, in the old days you had to have an actual ticket uh to you know to get in and there could be refunds and stuff, and now it's being done digitally and, and they you print the PDF and the whole routine. So and I talked to some of uh, some venues, and you know that they say this happens every show. Somebody shows up with a with a you know a code or a ticket or something, and and it's not a real ticket, and they have to say, like, we're really sorry, but we can't yeah. let you in. But yep. there's some seats available. Well, if you I mean, maybe. Well, if you go to the box office. And buy the seats for four hundred dollars a pop. We can let you in. But this is we're running, we're just the venue. We run this for the promoters. We right. can't let you in for free. I'm real, and we can't give you a refund because we didn't sell you the tickets. The refund comes from whomever you bought the tickets from. And if it's a scumbag, good luck with that one. Right. So it's a really, really serious problem. And again, as you know, digital technology has made it so easy to print fake tickets and to create websites that look like they're a real ticket website, maybe even copying. Uh, the website of a real company like a Ticketmaster. So the safest way is obviously to go to the venue if you possibly can or through the venue or to use one of the big ticket sellers and know that you're going to their website. Don't click on a link or something like that in a a social media. Uh, A lot of the victims said they responded to an ad on social media. Hey, I've got two, you know, tickets to see Taylor Swift and I want to get rid of them or or something like that. Um, If the tickets are too ridiculously lowly priced, uh, that's a real uh, good sign. The advice from uh, the folks at PIRG, that's the Public Interest Research Group, a real good consumer advocacy group, I said, what would you do to protect yourself? And Teresa Marie, the uh, consumer didn't watcher, did she said, I quote, forget Facebook marketplace, forget Craigslist, forget Instagram. Unless you're buying tickets from somebody you actually know, a coworker, a relative, a super close friend, then don't try to buy tickets from an individual because you just don't know and if yeah. you get burned, you're going to be disappointed and lose a whole lot of money so yeah. and you know a lot of the sites have resale ticket sites now a lot of the venues and or they'll connect yeah. you to a legitimate company one thing i did learn is uh, and by the way some of these resellers another problem is they don't disclose the the handling and shipping fees or whatever when before that so you'll see the 800 tickets and then you'll just be flabbergasted at what the add-on prices are, so that's just something to keep in mind, but you'll that's not that you won't get your tickets. But right. the, something I learned is there's a group called the National Association of Ticket Brokers, N-A-T-B. And if you go there, and they have hundreds of members, their members, and clearly a lot of the big guys, but some companies who may be selling these tickets that are smaller, they guarantee to deliver your tickets, and if for some reason something gets wrong, and you don't get in the concert, or you don't get your tickets. They will give you two hundred percent of the ticket price should something go wrong. And wow. their uh, their executive director told me that it doesn't happen very often. They don't give a whole lot of money back because they got the good guys that are you know the people who are signed up here want to do it the right way. Yeah. So uh, that's that's the way to do it. Is anybody you buy from. The advice that we said before, forget the social media sites, forget those places, forget anybody you don't know, and uh, and uh, try make sure the site is within the NATB, the National Association of Ticket Brokers.
2: Got it. It's interesting because, you know, Herb, I do um, um, monthly or every once in a while now uh, shows at Zany's Comedy Club here in mm-hmm. uh, Rosemont. And right. uh, when you go to buy tickets for my show, um, and, or any show, in fact, at Zany's, a uh, thing pops up because, because uh, you know... Even, you know, like even smaller shows, like I don't charge, you know, 12 grand like, like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, Taylor Swift does. I mean, it's like 20, 25 bucks to see my show. And uh, and even on that level, there are people scamming. So when Mm -hmm. you go to, uh, you know, Zany's or some of these other local clubs that are, you know, selling tickets for things that are only like 20, 25 bucks a pop. And they immediately say, beware of scammers. And they have like information and a link that you can click on that's legitimate. That's, mm. you know, th- th- where it's like, if you've had an issue, please do not trust anybody but okay. this site and blah, blah, blah. So, a lot of venues themselves, the venues themselves, are aware of this and are posting big warnings up when you go to the venue specifically to tell you that, you know, please be mm-hmm. hyper aware of all these ticket scammers that are out there because it's big
0: money. Oh, that's good. Hey, maybe we could start a GoFundMe account and your listeners could uh, put some money together and you could fly me out for one of those shows and buy me a Giordano's (laughs) pizza again.
2: (laughs) Ah, That sounds that sounds really legit, Turb. Because
0: it uh, it ain't coming out of your budget. I can tell you that. No, it's not coming
2: out of my budget. I can tell you that for sure. But no, Uh, I mean, people really need to be to be aware um, and, and the other thing is one of the things that you mentioned here in the, in the article that I want to, that mm-hmm. I want to talk about is that everybody now, as you know, Herb in this day and age of social media and phones and all that stuff, everybody has to prove that they are somewhere by either videoing it or taking a picture of it. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, look, I'm here or I'm there. And you know, people, you know, you go to a concert now and there's 17,000 people who are holding up their phones, recording the concert. Well, and they should be watching it, but right. they're recording right. it. And yeah. that happens all the time. And people are always like, Oh, look, I got this, or I got these people take their take take pictures of their tickets. Correct, yep. Herb? This yep, is something they, you talk about in
0: the article. Tell us about that. This was a fraud alert that I found from the FBI, and they're telling people that if you get t- concert tickets, don't hold them up. I got tickets to Taylor Swift. Take a look. And there's the barcode exposed. They call that a goldmine for scammers who can grab that information and use yeah. it to make their, their counterfeit tickets. And you might have the real ticket and somebody else might get in before you. So if you're going to show the tickets, pr- pr- protect the barcode and don't let that be out there, you know, try to cover, but just, just sh- hold an album up, hold a CD up. Say, I'm yeah. going to a yeah. hotel, you know, well, something like that.
2: Uh, but I think people, people don't even think about that. They're like, Oh, I got the tickets because they're tickets. They're physically my tickets. I own them. You know yeah. what I mean? There's no way that anybody can. So you take a picture of it, but then you go, Oh my God, the barcode. Yes. Somebody can recreate yeah. that. And yeah. I can get I can get to the I can get to the show an hour after those people do and I won't get in. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and but what, they, what, yeah go go ahead.
0: ahead. Oh, one more thing I learned. And I again, every time I do one of these stories, I learn something. As you may know, the ticket industry is moving to digital tickets. So they only show up on your phone. Yep. And the, here's a good tip. Find out how the venue is using uh, or the artist is the tickets for that event? I mean, if you find out that you're going to the so and so concert and they only accept digital tickets, and somebody wants to sell you a PDF, I'm going to send you tickets by PDF or put the yeah. tickets in the mail. I mean, that is a real instantaneous red flag. Absolutely. They've, I've also heard, and one of the tips they gave is and find out if those seats even exist in that venue. True. Some of these guys are so dumb they'll you know sell row XX to seat to 92 and 93, and there is no right. such lower seat in right. the venue. I mean, there are there are. You just can't assume that it's legit because it's on the internet. you got to do yeah. some due diligence.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially now. It's crazy. Well, anyway, that story is really helpful and has a lot of details on it, so you, you, you'll you definitely want to check it out. We're running out of time here, but really quickly, okay. the, the latest uh, podcast, I want you to jump this in here to tell everybody yep. what it's about. And and quickly, it's about electric vehicles, which is, you know, a hot topic right now. And, in fact, I will probably end up talking about it when I'm done talking with you with Tom Appel. Uh, sure. But well, it's happening. But EVs are big, what, but your podcast yeah. is happening. So tell us about the podcast.
0: Yeah, so so since we spoke last, the EV market has expanded a bit. Uh, it's about eight percent of the sales uh, are now about EVs. So uh, you know they're selling to almost everyone they can. There's not that many EVs in the market right now. A lot more models, a lot more choices. We had talked earlier that the price was going to go down by now. It really hasn't gone down, and that's because the industry has made most of their EVs the first models, the luxury models, the high-end models, because they make more money. It's a business decision. It's smart for them. Sell the high-end models, we make more profit, and and we'll worry about the lower-end models later. So we take a look at some of that. A couple of things are the mileage. The range is getting much, much better. Two to 300 miles, 300 miles or more is not uncommon. Some of the good ones get 400. The top one is now about 500 miles uh, that they they, uh, go. The batteries uh, are really holding up. They come with eight-year, 100,000-mile uh, warranties there is now starting to be a used car market which is one way you can save and so there are tax credits on some new models they changed the whole rules on that we talk about that in the podcast so not all the models are qualified before qualify but if you have the right income and the right mo- uh the right model is done you can save up to seventy five hundred dollars and for the right model for the right income level and a couple of hoops to jump through but not big ones you can actually get up to four thousand dollars mm. back if you buy a used ev and uh, so the one big tip and the takeaway here is I talk in this podcast to Edmunds.com and Consumer Reports, two names you know and love. Um, they're both saying the advice that – or uh, Consumer Reports gave the advice that don't buy a first-year model. They're suggesting not buy it because, as with any new model, they can have problems to be worked out. So they're suggesting the new, shiny, brand-new EV maybe wait till year number two so they work out the bugs – or a way to get around that, and now both Edmunds and Consumer Reports suggesting this, is you might wanna lease an EV. Both of these guys said to never lease your vehicle because it always costs more. But the logic for leasing an EV is that it's a new technology and the technology's rapidly changing. So if you get something you don't like, or if all of a sudden they start making batteries that go a thousand miles, and that would really be advisable to you, then you could trade in after a couple of years and not be stuck with an older model because people keep their cars like 12 years now. They're actually saying that might be the best way to go. Also, some dealers, there's a loophole in the law. If you lease an EV, some dealers can get money back from the federal government. They will qualify for the tax credit. And if they're honest or if you push them, they and you should ask, they will give you that tax credit back if you know that vehicle qualifies for a tax credit. So that mm. could also bring the price down as well. So a lot a lot has been happening in the EV market since we uh, since we last spoke.
2: Okay. Well, make sure you check out that podcast. Everything uh, that we've talked about and everything that you need help with, you can check out at consumerman.com, which has the links to the podcast and checkbook.org. Uh, always a pleasure, Herb. Have a safe fourth, and we will talk to you next month.
0: Oh, Nick, I forgot to give the free link. Can I give the free oh, link? Oh, yeah,
2: please. Yes, please. And where is it here?
0: Oh. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Hang on, you can add this in post. Checkbook.org. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah,
2: I think it's Checkbook.org/slash.
0: Yep, Nick D podcast. Yeah. So go to Checkbook.org/slash Nick D podcast. You can get a three 30 day trial. Sorry. So go to. So go to Checkbook.org. Don't laugh at me. So go to checkbook.org, Nick D Podcast, for a 30-day free trial subscription if you live in Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. You can get all the ratings that we do for the services in your area from vets to orthodontists, from plumbers to electricians, everybody else. Everything else on the website is free for you. So if you want the ratings, checkbook.org slash Nick D Podcast. We hope you'll sign up and join, but you don't have to. It's totally free.
2: There you go. Always good to talk to you, Herb. We'll see you next month.
0: Thanks, Nick. Be well. Take
2: care, buddy. All right. There you go. There's Herb uh, Weissbaum. Take advantage of that. Checkbook.org slash Nick D Podcast. All right. Let's say hello to our second for the people uh, guest, and that is Tom Appel. Tom Appel. We're going to talk about costume Tom Appel. Ooh, automotive with Tom. And his last name, The Pale. It's the czar of car, the sulfate of cylinder, Tom Appel. Yeah. Rockin' and rollin', man. One of our favorite theme songs for one of our favorite guests. Again, we continue with For the People on this first Tuesday of the month. On July 4th. Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. My guest is Tom Appel. He is the uh, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. He is a car expert, and he's been uh, my friend for many years. And he is here right now. Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you? All right. Happy Fourth. Don't blow your fingers off. That's all I'm asking. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Good advice. Very, very good advice. <laughs> uh, Tom joins us every month uh, here on the For the People uh, episodes. And uh, well, as by way of introduction, as we always do, tell everybody about Consumer Guide Automotive and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, Consumer Guide's been around since 1967. I joined them way back in 2002. But what we do is review cars. We have fun with car culture. And, and, and we're entirely online these days. And we have a podcast. The Car Stuff podcast, which is also fun. People want to check that
2: out. It's a terrific podcast. You do not have to be a car freak. I haven't driven in years, in 20-something years, legally, as I always say. I haven't <laughs> driven legally in those years. Uh, but I've been a guest on the podcast, had a fantastic time. It's a wonderful podcast, uh, and, and, uh, and I love it. And it's all part of the Consumer Guide Automotive. Check out consumerguide.com. And uh, where can people your handle on the Twitters and all that stuff as well?
1: Yeah, I am CarGuyTom. That's Car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. Sorry about the underscores. Really wasn't thinking about it 12 years ago when I signed up for Twitter. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) <laughs> my, uh, my, my, uh, my Twitter handle also has underscores as well because I signed up a long time ago. and uh, So there you go. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew we care? Who knew? And now we've <laughs> got to buy a blue check and all that crap. Oh, it's just a bunch of nonsense. I'm telling it is. You, it's all just a bunch of – But following Tom on Twitter, especially on Facebook, is a lot of fun. And we'll get to that as we do every month to talk about Star Spotter and Mystery Show. Tom likes to watch a lot of old TV, particularly westerns and freeze frame it to his wife's uh, dismay. <laughs> and take a screenshot of a an old celebrity appearing on a show and then like sharing that with everybody in a very in very delightful fashion. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh and you're a very popular guy right now. I can hear uh, a phone ringing or a Oh, sorry about that. That's alright. <laughs> That's all right. All right, Does I'm you, making that do you, go away. Do you I have didn't to get, hear it. That's weird. Oh, I didn't that, hear that. <laughs> do you have to get that, is it? Is it somebody? Is have they shipped the the fireworks to your house right they now? Will, is that what's going whoever on? Whoever it is, they will have to wait. Okay, even if it's fireworks, right. even if they're waiting yeah. on you to. To blow shit up right now. All right. Even if it's
1: firemen. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, Tom is here. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We love Consumer Guide Automotive. One more time, check out consumerguide.com and the Car Stuff Podcast. All right. We will get to Star Spotter and all that kind of stuff. Always, uh, the first question I ask you, it's always a month in between, sometimes a little bit longer in between the time that we speak. And in that time, you always drive a couple of cars, at least. What are you driving now? And and, and every time we talk to you, right, Tom? Because every time we record with you, you're kind of in a fresh new car. That's right.
1: I get yeah. cars on Monday. This Monday, I got two cars. I got two cars in the driveway. Whoa, today. how does that work out? How do you drive two cars? You know what happens sometimes is the way these things are scheduled, they're going to leave, and they want to get them in the hands as, as in as many journalists as possible. And every now and then, I just end up with two cars. But they come from different places, too. So, hmm. uh, difficult thing to schedule, but I have the Lexus RZ. Which is Lexus's first all-electric vehicle. It's a compact crossover, and I have, and I haven't had an, this this brand vehicle in years. An Alfa Romeo Tonale. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. And this is a also a a compact crossover, but it's a plug-in hybrid. Uh, I've only driven that to McDonald's this morning, so I don't have a lot
2: to say about it yet. But it's really good looking. And the other car you haven't driven yet, I would imagine, since you. Nope, I parked Not, it no. out on the street. That's about now, it. You mentioned that this does happen from time to time where they give you two cars at once. How does that work out? How do you schedule it to give, I mean you, can't, you obviously you can't get do you have the cars for the same amount of time? Yes, what happens
1: is for journalists in the Chicago area, and this is true in all the major metropolitan areas, the manufacturers create pools of vehicles that are loaned out for, you know, commercial use for social media and for media review. And and you just schedule with those organizations. And, and generally, if they regard you as a legitimate news source or a content creator, you could schedule these vehicles, but you're limited to what they have on hand, the priorities like obviously if, if some huge news story, if NBC News wants to do a special on a car, I'm going to lose it right right that's right. that's the way that works um, so there's a lot of complications in scheduling stuff but but ultimately I get into the cars I need to
2: okay all right and so you you and, and we always love talking to you about what's what' you in the kind of Alpha Romeo that is not. A name I've heard in a long time. Um, what they're still making cars? They're still around. Do people still buy them? Are they in demand? The Alfa Romeo. Great questions, and the answers are kind of muddy. Um, Alfa's been
1: around forever. It's, a, it's yeah. a storied. It's a historic brand with a great racing pedigree. Uh, but their vehicles have gotten to be a little bit expensive in the U.S. People are a little bit scared of them. They had reliability issues, so so they're still out there. And this vehicle that I'm driving, the Tenali that I just mentioned, very interesting car for them because it's the most affordable vehicle in their lineup now. Uh, the vehicle I have comes to about sixty uh, total price, so that's really that's easily the most affordable Alpha in a long time.
2: Clearly, I mean, I remember those cars were like you had to have some dough
1: yeah alphas were expensive and, yeah. and they're generally
2: always fun to drive so they have
1: that going for them
2: wow i didn't even know that i didn't even know that they still existed why don't we hear more about alfa romeo because they only make one car that people can buy and you're driving it <laughs> that can part, afford
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and part of what happened to alpha and this happened to maserati too is that they were part of the fiat brand in europe and fiat went through oh. some economic hard times right so they had to refocus their attentions and one of the interesting things that fiat did I don't know, seven, eight years ago, was to spin off Ferrari. So Ferrari is now a standalone brand and Fiat benefited benefited from this huge infusion of cash by taking Ferrari public, but Maserati and and Alfa Romeo, still part of that under the Fiat umbrella, which is now under the larger Stellantis umbrella. Um, so it's, it's part of this huge
2: conglomeration
1: and it, it got lost for a while.
2: Wow, it's nice to hear the name. Boy, that really, I mean, that just popped into my, as soon as you said Alfa Romeo, I had completely forgot that that car existed and how popular they once were and how cool they were. They were cool, yeah. And in,
1: and in the 80s, they built a lot of really desirable, insanely unreliable vehicles, but who
2: cared? <laughs> well, they were insanely unreliable and, well, because they were, I mean, why, why? Because they were sports cars? Because they were just like meant to be driven fast and crazy? What, what you usually hear about
1: Italian Italian cars sort of applied to Alphas and to Fiats and to Maseratis, they're just not especially reliable. Parts are very expensive. They spent a lot of time at the mechanic shop, unfortunately, mm. but they were always known for engines and they sounded great and they were fast and they looked good. And what kept them alive at the time was that crazy magazines like Car and Driver just yeah. fawned over them yeah they because did. Car and Driver editors, didn't have to pay for or own the vehicles; they just had to drive them. So, <laughs> right, right, right. of course, the cars were awesome.
2: Right now, when you do it, and that's a, that's a, this is a point that I do want to bring up. When you do drive a car and you test drive it, and then you report on it, and you guys write about it, uh, you do obviously take into effect how an everyday human will <laughs> will be <laughs> will be affected by this car and everything associated with it. Not just like the car and driver guys back in those days saying, yeah, it's a badass car. It's really cool. You know what I mean?
1: (laughs) I I try very hard to do that. Tomorrow, my wife and I are driving to Milwaukee. That Lexus I mentioned, the Lexus RZ, that's a pure electric vehicle. It doesn't have a lot of miles on the battery right now. So this will be fun. We're going to try to find a charging station on the way to Milwaukee, charge up there, and hopefully we can get there and
2: back. (laughs) Hopefully you can. All right. Yeah. There you go. Uh, What else have you driven since since we spoke last?
1: This makes me so happy. I drove the 2023 Honda Accord, which was just uh, not redesigned, but updated. And I'm happy to say that this regular old midsize sedan, a thing we've completely forgot about, is still an incredibly good vehicle. Um, It's just, it's just good that the Accord, which was always just understood to be perfect, is still nearly perfect. I drove the sport hybrid, great vehicle, 44 miles per gallon,
2: all sorts of room inside, nicely put together. Just, I love the car. What, what can people learn from Honda? You know what I mean? Like, you're saying that that's reliable, that it's a great car, that the, Acc- that the Accord, people love the Accord. It's consistently a good car, and it still is. I, I, what kind of lessons can other car manufacturers and companies learn from Honda? What do you think? Uh,
1: consistency, and that's a great question, Nick. Hondas have always been good, and they've, they, the changes that they make transition slowly over time. And hilariously, a few years ago, Honda decided not to go with a volume knob. On the dashboard. Instead, it was like a slider. It was a thing you would slide your thumb along. And there was one on the steering wheel and one on the dash. And people hated it. And they hated it so much that there was this massive outcry. When they updated that car, they went back to a volume knob. I see. Okay. Public expectations of what Honda should be are very clear.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, everybody I know who's ever had a Honda, and, you know, in all the years that I've been talking to you and talking to other car guys, and reading about cars, Honda, and the Accord especially, yeah. great rep, great reputation, constantly. Uh, yeah, it's a shame that, that we've
1: moved away to crossovers. But, but I say that, but the Honda CRV, which is a compact crossover, really falls in line with those expectations. It's as good a Honda as any other Honda. Okay. Well, all other
2: companies take note and listen to Honda. <laughs> Follow Honda's lead. So. Uh, uh, Tom, are you there? Tom? We're connected, but I don't hear you. Tom? Uh-oh. So let's move on to uh, Tesla. Let's talk a little bit about Tesla. They're in the news right now, uh, and it's not a great story. It involves charging, which you're going to be doing, you're going to have to do on the way to and from Milwaukee. Um, yeah. And what is, what's going on? This is a big story. You wanted to, you wanted to jump on this because it's, it's kind of a big deal. Tesla and charging. What's, what's happening here? It's kind of a big deal, it might be a huge deal, and it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. But but
1: Ford first, and other automakers jumped, online, uh, jumped in on this, Ford has struck a deal with Tesla for Ford EV buyers to use the Tesla charging network, the Tesla supercharger network. And, and this is super interesting for a bunch of reasons, because Tesla is famous its extremely reliable charging network. Meanwhile, we know that other networks, EVgo, Electrify America, ChargePoint, have been seriously disappointing electric vehicle owners. The chargers, the, these are the public uh, level three chargers, have not been working, they haven't been delivering the power they're supposed to deliver, they're very expensive, they're in weird locations, and manufacturers are frustrated. They, they want people to adopt the EV so they could move their production EV, but if people are afraid because the charging network is so bad, yeah. uh, obviously this is going to slow down adoption of EVs. So Ford, fed up, decided to throw in with Tesla, and now Tesla is going to allow Ford, uh, Ford owners, Ford EV owners, to use their charging network. Uh, they'll be charged for it, but I assume it's going to be the same rate as they would charge Tesla owners or something similar. So after Ford made this announcement and the whole world was like, whoa, that's a big deal. General Motors jumped online. Wow. So, so now it's Ford, General Motors and then Rivian and now Volvo. So we have four manufacturers, two huge, one in a, an EV upstart and, and one significant because Volvo selling a lot of EVs. So this is a really big deal. And I think it's a notice for the other suppliers. Of EV charging networks, that they need to get their act in line because
2: they're not getting it done. Wow! Now, is is Elon going to charge people for blue checks in order to get your your car charged? Is that going? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, go. <laughs> <I've... laughs> what were you going to
1: the... say? No, Nick, you made a great point. Blue checks or something, some priority system, because Tesla owners are likely not going to be this happy about this inrush of other EVs to use the yeah. charging network yeah, that yeah. wasn't being overused before. Um, so we'll see how that works. If I was a Tesla owner, I might be irritated now, but, but ultimately their super reliable network is going to make Ford owners and General Motors owners, uh, EV owners feel very happy and secure.
2: Okay. So what, what is, but now you mentioned, you know, this is what kind of stress is this going to put on this network for Tesla? I mean, it's, you know, they're probably, they're obviously thrilled about the fact that they've got GM and Ford, you know, now with them and Volvo and Rivian with them. But like, I mean, are they going to have to, I mean, with this, are they going to have to expand the network? I mean, clearly, right? I mean, they're going to have to have more. I don't know the answer to that yet, but this is what I I think you're right. I think they
1: will expand the network. I think Ford and GM and and Tesla and Rivian, I'm sorry, uh, Volvo and Rivian are going to help pay for that and help determine new locations to put these, these charging stations. So... I think the network is going to expand. I think Tesla has got someone else now to pay for that expansion. And now Tesla's got a new revenue source.
2: Like they need it. Jeez.
1: (laughs) Well, interesting you say that, but but Tesla sales have been softening somewhat. I see. uh, And and they've been lowering the price of Tesla products. So I think they could actually use a new channel of revenue because right now Tesla is charging market share more than revenue.
2: Yeah. Uh, Very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, actually, you know what? Elon's been taking a hit uh, lately on everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, okay. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to say that because <laughs> <laughs> I just assume whenever I hear Tesla or Elon, I just think billionaire Jag off. That's immediately what I think. So, but yeah, I mean, there's, th- yeah,
1: I think everyone thinks that. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so, all right. Well, Tesla. So now if you've got a Ford, you've got a GM, a Rivian or a Volvo, and you, you know, you've got the EV, uh, you will now be able to use the Tesla charging uh stations um now the car that you're going to be driving what is it again that you're going to be driving uh it is the lexus
1: rx it's a compact crossover and it looks like i'm going to be going to an electrify america charger somewhere on the south side of milwaukee electrify america yeah that is is the charging network that was born of volkswagen's diesel scandal Wait, wait, wait,
2: wait. What's, what's again now? Remind us of the diesel scandal? Uh... Yeah, a
1: few years ago, uh, Volkswagen was busted for cheating on, oh, on diesel right. emissions. Right. Yeah, they were right. fined, they were fined <laughs> huge money in the U.S. But part of that money, $2 billion worth, went to this organization called Electrify America to build a charging infrastructure in the U.S. Uh, they're doing that, but they're not doing it very well, unfortunately. Well, what do you mean? What's, what's going on? Electrify America just not very reliable. Their fast chargers never charge all that fast, and they're just they're consistently consistently broken. And one of the horrible things too is that Electrify America built a number of stations that weren't really level three or fast chargers that show up on on people's maps or phone apps and not not labeled correctly. And you end up someplace that where you'd have to charge overnight.
2: Oh to get any man! Significant. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare. <laughs> Oh jeez! Well, that's not going to happen to you and your wife on on your way to or from Milwaukee. You think? Uh, the
1: app I'm using actually shows me a picture of the charger, so I know it's not a level two charger.
2: Oh, okay. Wow. Okay, man. Oh man, it's just so it's it's just crazy. Um, it is. It's uh, wow. It's so complicated just to charge your damn car. You th- everything you thought everything <laughs> was going to be easy, but it's not. All right. But so that's a big be. story, and you'll be keeping you'll you'll be keeping tabs on this. Uh, on the fact that these huge companies have joined Tesla for their for their charging uh, systems. Oh yeah, huge story. I love it too. It's okay. it's entertaining. All right. Well, there you go. So uh, you can always count on Tom to cover that kind of stuff and other uh, and other uh, fun things um, as well. You love to go. You love to go back in, in time and, and and talk about uh, older car ads and uh, commercials and things like that we have a lot of fun with those and you have a lot of fun with that and that's in the blog tell everybody about the blog that they can check out and some of the cool stuff that you guys do on the blog
1: yeah if you go to consumerguide.com and if you're not buying a car right now just click on the blog and that's where all the fun stuff is and yeah i love to do stuff with old ads and specifically old ads and i also love uh, forgotten concept cars so those are those are things I love to write about. Lots of that stuff there.
2: And, and I mean, and you just the just the, the stuff that you find uh, and the ads and the pictures, some of it is just so classic and hilarious and fascinating, too, uh, about how, you know, our car culture and, and our society and just culture in general changes through the eyes of these car ads and stuff. So speaking of uh, of old ads and the stuff that you do um uh in the blog at consumer guide uh we've got old ads here uh the one that you sent here is for that our favorite car ads it's like from 19 the 20 1925 ford model uh the 1925 ford model t yep okay and you and, and it says the the sub the sub headline says cheapest car ever tell me <laughs> tell me about the uh the the Ford Model T ad for 1925 because it looks it's a fantastic picture.
1: Yeah, I love the art. This is great. It's hand drawn yeah. art, or actually, it's a painting, I guess. But but Henry Ford, a little bit like Elon Musk, or we should probably say Elon Musk is a little bit like Henry Ford. But <laughs> yeah. but one, one, one changed the world more <laughs> than the other. But yeah. Henry Ford was crazy about volume and crazy about price. And one of his things he wanted, one of the things he really wanted to do was make sure that his his employees could afford to buy his product and he was forever driving down the price of the model t and up until 1925 the price of the model t kept going down and down and down and in 25 i believe the model t was offered for the lowest price ever in the history of american new cars and that was 260 bucks you could get Um, you could get a car for
2: 260
1: dollars yeah, it was it was an incredibly basic car and it would never pass muster today, uh, didn't have a fixed roof, there was no side weather protection, but it was a vehicle that would run would go 50 miles an hour and it was relatively reliable, uh, you could drive it every day and it was 260 bucks the year prior it was 265. So this feels like it was a painful price drop. Like that was all they could muster. And I don't know if at the time they knew this was it. But, wow. it, but Things happened for 26. There was a bit of inflation. There was some labor issues and the price of that car went all the way up to 330 and it never went under 300 bucks again. Wow. So just a crazy point in time. And this ad has all the prices for all the models available then. And you had the, uh, the runabout 260 bucks and you could go all the way up to the four door, which was a play on the word for the four door, uh, to 660 bucks. And that was four sealed doors and an actual weather protected interior. For
2: 660 bucks. 660 bucks. So you could get the four door, which is, by the way, one word, F O R D O R, as though it were in Lord of the Rings.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> um, uh, for 660 bucks. You know, you can't buy half a, half a Taylor Swift ticket for that nowadays. So, uh, but you could get the four door car in 1925 for 660 bucks. But the cheapest car, a $260 Model T Ford from 1925.
1: And, and just to put things into perspective, that translates to about forty-six hundred bucks now. So, crazy good deal. That's you got a, nothing. You got nothing, right? You have you have brakes only on the rear axle, no air conditioning, no radio, no side impact protection,
2: no weather protection. But two hundred and sixty bucks. Two hundred and sixty bucks, or in this case, forty-five hundred. In our in yeah. our forty-five hundred. Again, almost you can get in to see Taylor Swift for forty-five hundred. are uh, right. <laughs> You could almost see Taylor Swift for 4500 And, by the way, and I would imagine getting a, uh, a Model T Ford now for $4,500 would not require you to sit online for Ticketmaster for five hours and get cut off. Uh, I would imagine that would not have to be an, easy, an issue either. No, probably not. <laughs> Just drive down to your dealer. I wonder how much it costs to get those replicas. Have you ever done an article? This isn't interesting. Maybe you have. God, every time I talk to you, Tom, there's always a new uh, question that I ask you that I've never asked you before, and I've known you for 900 years. Um, have you ever done an article or talked about it on the podcast, like what it costs to get replica cars or cars for movies? Has that been a, that been a, a thing that you've talked about at all? No,
1: um, not, not so far as we've written about it, but we've certainly had the conversation. And it's interesting because we know a couple of guys – Um, they're actually photographers that work with collectible automobile magazine which is affiliated with consumer guide and and the studios tend to maintain these pools of cars as well as contacts of people who own cars who are willing to rent them to the studio for use and and in that fashion they keep a a portfolio of vehicles available um for for scenes in which everything is suspiciously clean
2: but uh (laughs) right right I think that's uh, an interesting. But, I, I think that's interesting, though, is like how cars are provided in movies and, and how they show up, and 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 talk a little bit about uh, about the classic car uh, uh, magazine as well that you guys that you guys talk about a lot. Yeah, started in 1985. It's collectible automobile
1: magazine. It's a 96-page glossy old car magazine. Beautiful magazine. We produce it uh, six times a year. Uh, Don Sikora, a guy who used to work for me, has taken over as editor in chief of that magazine as it soldiers on. And it's like one of the last great print magazines, but it's a beautiful thing, no ads. Uh, it's about 40 bucks a year to subscribe, and it's well worth it if you like old cars.
2: Absolutely. Collectible automobile mags. So make sure you check that out and all yeah. like that cool stuff. Hey, by the way, speaking of movie cars, which we often do um, when you're on this podcast, uh, did you see what, uh, what Sven showed? Just I didn't a, watch, but yeah, I saw it was the car. Yeah. The car, one of the greatest movie cars of all time, one of the most awful movies ever. Uh, and I love it. Um, and, and Sven has shown, Rich has shown that movie many times. And it's uh, for people who might not know, it's, it's a James Brolin movie <laughs> about an evil car that seems to be from hell that just drives into this <laughs> desert town and wreaks havoc for a, a day or two. While James Brolin and his wife-beating friend and alcoholic uh, deputy uh, try to save the world from the car that's possessed by the devil, um, but it is a classic, uh, a classic movie car. Would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love it too because it's not really based on
1: anything. It's just huge.
2: Yeah, and it's got like like and the, uh, uh, the uh, Barris uh, George Barris right was his name. Uh huh. George Barris is the guy who designed uh, the Munster Mobile, right, and the Batmobile from the 60s. And this guy basically, at a certain period of time in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, was designing every cool car that showed up in movies or TV. Yeah, he did the Monkey Mobile, too. Yeah, oh, God, so cool. Um, And, you know, you could see some of the stuff, some of this stuff at, like, the Volo Auto Museum or elsewhere. I mean, this guy was, I mean, this guy's like a legend, right, Tom? Uh, This uh, George Barris?
1: Yeah, original George Barrett's cars are very, very valuable now. They're they're yeah. shockingly expensive and, and for a reason because they were so iconic at the time. I'm trying to remember if he had anything to do with the Beach Boys car, and I don't think he did. Okay. That's the, the Deuce Coupe, the famous Deuce Coupe that was on the album the album cover, and I can't remember the album. But he did stuff based on that look. That, yeah. that
2: sort of T body hot rod look. Uh, uh, it's great, it's great uh, look great stuff and that car though i remember seeing that movie i saw that movie i don't know seven eight times in the theater when it came out because i was like 12 <laughs> and i thought it was the thought it was the coolest movie ever it's a terrible movie uh by the way kathleen lloyd who plays um james brolin's girlfriend in that movie quite possibly the most annoying performance an actress has ever given in a movie <laughs> i remember seeing seeing the movie in the theater at one time and she like at one point i don't know if you remember when was the last time you saw the movie tom it's been a while that movie? Yeah. Oh, man, I saw it once like 20 years ago. Okay, well, there's a scene in the movie where, like, she's trying to get away from the devil car. Which, by the way, and the car, again, as we talk about, it's a really weird-looking but really badass-looking weird car. I mean, it, I, mean it, I guess it kind of, it doesn't look like anything except maybe a smushed-down, like, kind of Cadillac of that era? Yeah, maybe? yeah,
1: that's a good description. It's kind of smushed and bloated to the sides. Yeah, it's yeah. extremely wide.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And just really ridiculous. Uh, uh, But anyway, uh, at one point, like this car is possessed by Satan. (laughs) So stupid. But she's in her house and she's on the phone with Brolin saying, "Ah, I'm scared. And the car, you can see the headlights of the car driving toward her front window. And she's like, "No, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do." And everybody's like, "Well, why don't you leave the house, idiot? Because yeah, the car leave. is coming straight. <laughs> Look out the. Way- How about looking out the window, moron? You know, like that kind of thing." And then the car barrels through, jumps up, and she's like on the second floor. And the car barrels through, jumps up, and goes through the window, dr- crashes right through her house, and kills her. Like drives right through her house and kills her. And I remember seeing the movie, and this was at the Davis Theater on Lincoln Avenue here in Chicago. <laughs> And I remember seeing the movie, and when the car smashes through and kills her, the audience uproared with laughter and and applause. Like everybody, yeah! Everybody was so so thrilled that the most annoying woman on the planet was murdered by the car. It was one of the most satisfying uh, crowd responses to a death I've ever been a part of. So. At
1: which point the car was promoted from from villain to anti-hero? <laughs>
2: exactly, he became the hero of the movie. Now, if you can wipe out the you can wipe out the alcoholic guy and the and the and the wife beater, that'd be great, Devil Car. Um, but yeah, like everybody he killed was annoying, so it was uh, anyway. But so anyway, so that I, I was just wondering where they got like these cars, the Model T cars. And by the way, you do also in this article, you have a great 1925 Ford Model T gallery that you uh, that you have too. Um, do you have some some favorites in that in that uh, in that gallery?
1: No, I just love this painting because it's it's just this 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 picture, and this is the coupe. If you look at if you go to the article and look at the ad, this is the coupe. So sort of the mid price car, but it is enclosed. And one of the great things is you can fold the windshield forward. You can see that in the ad, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh but, but looks like a I don't know if that's a family or a guy who's just really lucky to be dating <laughs> twins.
2: I can't figure it out either, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah, they, yeah the Roaring Twenties, uh, Tom. There you go. Uh, two women in every garage, as, as they say, um, or whatever. Uh, moving on to some more of these fun ads. Uh, all right, this 67, <laughs> this 67 Mercury Cougar, this is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> is it the most sexist ad of all time? This is what you guys are talking about, and you have this here. Uh, 1976, 1967 Mercury Cougar, which, by the way, is a, a really cool car. Um, That's a great-looking car. I'm, okay, so it's a sexist ad, uh, Tom, the, the Mercury Cougar, 67.
1: <laughs> It's incredibly sexist and probably the last time in history that a maker could have gotten away with this. But we were talking about the Cougar here, which is part Mustang. uh, It's based on the Ford Mustang. Mercury and and Ford were companion brands of the Ford Motor Company, Uh, but luxed up a little bit. It's very masculine, a little bit upscale. And the ad campaign is a man's car. So they've (laughs) they've just excluded half of the potential buying audience. And I realize this is 67 and, and women did not have the economic uh, economic power that they have now and weren't buying cars themselves and probably not leaning towards Mercury's right you know, par- Partly because of ad campaigns like this But, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the Cougar was was the, the, the predominant ad campaign under this particular um, Advertising effort, but there was a broader and I've got a clip here from YouTube okay. uh, for the whole brand the whole Mercury brand and it's called a man's car. So for 67 and, and, and we're right like sort of at the beginning of the women's empowerment movement. They're, they're running this ad that just excludes women. Yeah. It's, it's kind of stunning. Now for 68, and I'm not aware and I couldn't find any evidence of this, there seems to be pushback because for 68, the ads are loaded with women. So this didn't ah. last long.
2: Okay, so just that one ad. And by the way, if you, if you check out the Consumer Guide Automotive, if you check out the blog, the commercial is there, the ad is actually there. Um, so you can... <laughs> In all of its masculine glory um, and sexist glory. But so I I would imagine, though, like, you know, in 67, whatever, when they did this ad campaign, if suddenly the next year all the ads had tons of women, my guess is there was blowback. That would be my guess. I'm sure there was.
1: And this was comfortably, you know, pre-social media. So no one really heard what the blowback was. But you have to assume that.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, the 67 Mercury Cougar, in all of its uh, sexist glory, uh, you can read you can read about it and see the ad and all that stuff uh, available uh, at the uh, at the at the blog at consumerguide.automotive. Now, um, now, here's the other thing. Now, everybody loves uh, the Volkswagen, uh, uh, the the, the bus, right? Yes, we all we all love the Volkswagen, uh, the, the Volkswagen bus. It's iconic, correct? It is, yeah. It was it was the second vehicle ever built by Volkswagen. There
1: was the Beetle, yeah, and then that was called the Type One back in the day. It wasn't called the Beetle, and the Type Two, which was the bus, and it was supposed to be an incredibly practical car. Volkswagen was the people's car, and it was it was practical, affordable, and deadbolt reliable.
2: All right, and so the microbus or the or or, or the bug and everything, it, but they're all it's it's coming back now in two thousand twenty-five. Is this what we're hearing? And it's it, and it's all electric now. Yeah, Volkswagen has had some luck
1: with heritage stuff. And they did the new Beetle, which came out earlier, like around 2000, 2001. I can't remember, but they, they had some success selling that. And mechanically, it was based on the Volkswagen Golf, uh, but it had the, the great styling of the Beetle. And it was very popular for a while in the U.S. and in other markets. Now they're revisiting the the microbus, the minibus or whatever you want to call it. and And it's going to be an electric vehicle and it's called the
2: ID Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man! Cool, yeah. cool. <laughs> well, I mean, are they embracing the fact that that microbus is is really associated with hippies and pot? Do you think they is really, that they they have never said it, but they tacitly say it all the time? <laughs> yeah. Well, buzz. I mean, you know. Yeah, uh, you can't uh, get closer to that than that. <laughs> and what's the what's the what's the word on it? Any kind of pre-buzz buzz on the buzz? Uh, overwhelmingly,
1: hugely popular based on the design and styling. It looks great. It does, it does throw back nicely to the old vehicle. There's yeah. a cargo version that we're not going to get on the U.S., which has, instead of glass, it has sheet metal on the sides and it's gorgeous. Wow. Uh, but this vehicle, a cu- couple interesting things about this. It's only coming back as an electric vehicle. Okay. Um, it's only going to be in the U.S. on the long wheelbase version with all-wheel drive. And it may be very expensive. Um, in Europe, they sell for as much as eighty thousand dollars, which is a lot of money for wow. a family minivan. Yeah, because it's functionally just a minivan. It just and that's more. Cool. Exp-
2: but by, by the way, that's more expensive than your Alfa Romeo. <laughs> it, Jesus, it is. It is. Oh my and God. Part, you know, we we can love the
1: heritage of this vehicle, but the truth was the original vehicle kind of awful to drive. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah as a heritage vehicle i I don't know what it is they're
2: drawing from besides design because really that's it that's it yeah because people like the way it looked and it was cool and i love the i love the way it looks too it's an iconic vehicle i mean it really is truly one of the most iconic vehicles ever um so now it's all electric and it's very expensive (laughs) yeah
1: so if you want one visit your volkswagen dealer but deliveries are supposed to begin at the end of the
2: summer Okay, all right. We'll get on that right now, everybody. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, so in all of that car stuff that you want to check out, you can check out the uh, the, the, the podcast. You can check out the, the blog. All of the ads that we were talking about, and all the news, the Tesla stories, the Volkswagen stories of the new stuff, and the the the, the car reviews, all at Consumer Guide Automotive, and that's ConsumerGuide.com. Now, Tom watches a lot of TV, and we love to talk about that. I do. Uh, so Tom, tell us, tell everybody for people who might not follow you on the Facebook or the social medias, you do a thing called star spotter, hashtag star spotter. What have you, what have you been watching? What have you been seeing lately? Oh, uh, I, I have some
1: bad news and that's that INSP, which is one of the t- stations that I watch a lot of gun smoke on has started running a lot of rawhide. Now that's <laughs> not terrible news because Rawhide's a great show and Robbie yeah. Yates, Clint Eastwood, yeah. Yeah. awesome. He's Legend. awesome. Legend, but yeah. I'm not seeing as much gun smoke as I should. So I'm running a little <laughs> low
2: on that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, that is just a Tom Appel problem. I think is I just it's exclusively exclusively a Tom Appel problem. There's not enough <laughs> gun smoke. God damn it! There's not enough gun smoke on this uh, on this channel. All right, so that cuts down a little bit on your star spotting because gun smoke is a great source for old school uh, stars. It is, and they tend to get a
1: better class of uh, cameo stars, too. <laughs> right,
2: okay. But Rawhide
1: is good, and recently on Rawhide, I saw... Now, this is almost not special because he shows up everywhere, but Harry
2: Dean Stanton uh, of, showed up on Rawhide. God, one of my favorite actors ever. Uh, iconic legend. I love the man. I love Harry Dean Stanton. I love him so much. But the thing about Harry Dean Stanton, I yeah, think you'll agree with me on this, he looked like he was 50, 50 years ago. You know oh, what I mean? He looked, like he... Yeah, he looked like hell. <laughs> and he, he always looked like hell. Always. Even back on Rawhide.
1: And he always plays a cowardly weasel, with, without exception. <laughs> he was so typecast. And it's, it's like this guy's like 25 and he's typecast. Right, right.
2: Uh, by the way, if you've not seen this movie, the last movie he made was this beautiful movie called Lucky, which is kind of uh, oh no, I it's a wonder- wonderful movie. If you're a fan, Tom, you should check it out. It's really it's the last film he made from about five years ago, five, six years ago. Um, okay. And uh, it was the last movie he made before he passed away. I mean, he's a legend. Harry Dean Stanton is a legend, one of the greatest. And they showed uh, at the Music Box a couple of weeks ago, they showed Paris, Texas. On the Big screen, Oh! Which, uh, just an amazing movie. Yeah. He's incredible in that. But checking him out on Rawhide, and I saw your picture, and I looked at it, and I'm like, he looks exactly the same as he did in 1995. <laughs> so, uh, and then Big Valley is a good source sometimes for, for s- star spotting. It is,
1: yeah. I recently saw Richard Dreyfus on the Big yeah. Valley. He made he made two or three appearances on the Big Valley and several on Gunsmoke. Yeah. He always pays like this kid who doesn't know how to get out of the situation he's in and he's just <laughs> a little bit little bit weasley. Like yeah. you should just talk to somebody.
2: Right. It's kind of like an attitude, yeah, but, but a
1: Weasley attitude.
2: Well, that's Dreyfus, man. That's kind yeah. of his thing. He was, <laughs> you know, like I. And just speaking of seeing movies again on the big screen, I went to go see Jaws a, a couple of weeks ago at the um, at the Pickwick in Park Ridge. Uh, by the way, seven hundred and sixty people showed up for that time for Jaws. Excellent, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, but I just kinda, watched that because and Hooper's a little Weasley. Cooper's a little yeah. easily in that movie. So, yeah, I can understand that. Dreyfus on the Big Valley. Now, you also do Mystery Show. Hashtag Mystery Show. I do. Uh, explain what that is, because this is always a lot of fun. And you, and you stump me every once in a while.
1: Mystery Show is a thing I do, and it, everyone's welcome to play. But I do it specifically for two women I used to work with at Consumer Guide uh, who, who are unbelievably good and taking a still from a forgotten TV show and telling you what the show was. They're right, really and, good at it.
2: And they do not Google. These women actually know this stuff. They do not cheat.
1: They try to find the only person in, their, in, the, in the promo photo that they recognize, and they work backwards from there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, the, now this last one that you just posted um, has an incredible uh, cast. Um, and uh, <laughs> and one, of these, one of these guys I actually hung out with for a week straight. Um uh, um oh I know that. I know yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell everybody who the guys were and then what the show ended up being cuz uh I actually didn't know what the hell this was. I had no idea what it was when I saw it. And I was like, how did this exist and this was real? Uh, I didn't know this existed either and
1: and this is what you get when you do a Google search on Jack Elam. Who <laughs> a legend, man.
2: And who doesn't do that? Um <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Once people see, you know, when people once they see Cannonball Run, they're like, "Who is that guy?" And uh, they look him up and find out he did about uh, I don't know, one hundred and fifty thousand westerns. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jack Eilim is is
1: sort of a yeah. Is a, speaking of type, he has guys because he was a really good actor. Yeah, and and back in back in black and white western days, he did a lot of straight roles as bad guys. He was yeah. great. Yeah. He was threatening. He was crazy eyes. Crazy eyes. <laughs> But the crazy eye thing got him roles like support, and like support your local sheriff, I think it was, with James yeah. Garner. Yeah, yeah. And then he, and then he yeah. was crazy. But this show, The Wheelers of Texas,
2: <laughs> ran from 74 to 75, starred Jack Elam, yeah. Yeah. Busey, and Mark Hamill. Gary Busey and Mark Hamill. Jack Elam, Gary Busey, and Mark Hamill. The picture is hilarious. Hilarious mid-70s network TV crap. Um, and it was only on for one season, The Wheelers of Texas. Um, yeah, Jack Elam, Gary Busey, Mark Hamill. How does that happen? How did I, those
1: three guys happen i don't know how that happened and I've watched clips of the show since, and they <laughs> wasted that cast yes yeah. it's it's sitcomy and just yeah. It's it's,
2: a, it's an hour long show, but it, it feels like a sitcom i've never <clears throat> I didn't for the week that I spent partying with Gary Busey, I never asked him about the Wheelers of Texas. <laughs> I, I doubt that he would remember it. I did I ask him, gonna, I was just going to ask. I doubt he, Well, listen, Tom, and I'm not making this up. <laughs> I, uh, I mentioned we were – we ended up – I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I hung out with Gary Busey for a full week back in the fall of 1992. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the whole story. And how it happened and how I ended up hanging with him for seven nights straight and how I survived is the, is the actual story. But I actually asked him one night. I was like, hey, um, <clears throat> what was it like working on DC Cab? Now, I don't know if you remember DC Cab. Do you remember DC Cab? I I, rem-
1: I remember only the car in DC Cab, but I've never seen that was a uh,
2: Mr. T. Yes, Mr. T yeah. is in it, and uh, yeah. uh, Bill Maher before he became political on HBO is in that movie, uh, wow. and all yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. But but I, so and Gary Busey is in it. So I was like, hey, uh, what, what was it like working on DC Cab? And he goes, I have no memory of making that movie whatsoever. <laughs> That's- uh, <laughs> he was loaded up on drugs, and James like I have no memory of making that movie whatsoever. I'm like, well, you're in it, <laughs> Gary. I want to let you know. Didn't turn out very well. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> so, so he would definitely not remember the Wheelers. I guarantee you. If he doesn't remember DC Cab, he's not going to remember the Wheelers. So. Well, there's only like a dozen episodes of the Wheelers, so uh, yeah, it's not one. that much to no, remember. No much to remember. <laughs> All right. Well, and Tom and Tom Appel will keep the Wheelers alive. That's what you do, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> I'm building a the right. now. There you go. Well, uh, happy Fourth of July, Tom. Uh, Thank be safe you. on your trip to and f- in, to and from uh, Milwaukee. And we will uh, talk cars in the meantime. Everybody, check out ConsumerGuide.com, the blog, and uh, and the podcast as well. Tom, always a pleasure, my friend. And I'll talk to you next uh, next time. Sounds good. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Take care. There you go. Tom Appel, everybody. All right. Oh, my dad's stopping by right now to tell a joke. Ooh, it's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go. With your music intro. In ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Hey, what I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Oh, yes! Here we go! Yeah, that's right. My dad tells a joke. He's been doing it for years, for his entire life, and he was doing it. when, As long as I've been a broadcaster, my dad has come on to anything that I've been doing, and he tells a joke. And so uh, the first, uh, the, well, Tuesday, every Tuesday. Uh, my dad tells a joke. Uh, so uh, here's my dad. Hi, dad. How are you? Good to see you, man. What hell? What the hell? Life is like a Rubik's cube. Easy to mess up and hard to solve. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, jeez. Jesus, dad. Get a little depressing and philosophy, philosophy, philosophical with your jokes. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. Yeah, and I hope, I hope the next one you tell dad's not as depressing as that one. Jesus Christ. Wow. All right, dad. Thanks, man. Jesus. Hey, want to be a sponsor of this podcast? Tons of people listen to this thing. I'm telling you right now, it'll pay off for you. Be a sponsor right now. Advertise on the radio uh, misfits and advertise at the Nick D podcast sales at radiomisfits.com You want to be a part of this podcast, leave your voicemail message. The voicemail system is open 24 seven. We want to hear from you. We expect to hear from you. I listen to every single voicemail that I get and we play back a lot of them on the air. Be a part of this podcast with your questions and your comments, your contributions, your megaphone requests, all that stuff. 773-417-6948 24 seven. Leave those messages Email me with anything you want to say or any questions that you have for guests or contributions or any of that stuff. Megaphone requests again, podcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs, the man who does all the sounds and the themes and the weirdness and the music. And my thanks to Ed and everybody at radiomisfits.com and radiomisfits.live. And my thanks to you for listening. And We'll see you next time. You're the best. And uh, happy 4th. See if you have uh, all 10 digits by uh, by Friday. All right. I hope you do. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Nick D podcast. The wind is right on-